Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel and Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Shoftim, War, What Is It Good For? So, do you remember the song called War? What is it good for? Yeah, absolutely nothing, right? (laughs) Right. Say it again. Yeah, so evidently we both remember it. (laughs) It's a great anti-war song. I do admit that occasionally when I'm looking at the carnage coming out of Ukraine, I hear that. I hear that song in the background because it's just the, the, the damage and the destruction on every level of society, the refugee issue is just horrific. And you wonder to yourself, why do we have to fight wars? And I kind of have transformed back to my college days, sitting on the grass on campus, thinking, well, why can't we just love each other? And yet here we are in this kind of endless cycle of warfare. How do we explain that? Yeah, it's a great question. Is war necessary? Is it inevitable? Is it part of the human condition that we're meant to fight each other? Obviously, some religions say no. Um, you know, some religions say that nonviolence is the way and that uh, war is never necessary. And um, I like to think that that's true. I like to think that we're capable of living in a nonviolent world. But um, human nature would suggest otherwise over and over and over again. I think that's very true. And, you know, you can choose, as Quakers do, to opt out of war, but the world will continue on. And unless you are willing to fight, then chances are you're going to be overcome yourself by an enemy that you're not going to really appreciate very much. And that seems to be the way of the world. And what's interesting about our portion this week of Shoftim is that War is a necessary evil in society. There's no prelude to the discussion about warfare saying, would that human beings fulfill their potential? No, it just says, it just goes into the laws of warfare because it's understood within the Torah that warfare is simply part of the human condition. And that is the answer to the question that you were raising before. From the Torah's perspective, it's actually a very, very realistic approach to the condition of warfare. Yeah, and isn't that sad in a way that we have to just accept the fact that we're going to hate and want to kill one another, that rivalries become so severe that um, our enemies must be slain, and we just have to accept that. And and I guess uh, the Torah would say, find a way to do it um, that we can live with. Well, I well, first of all, the Hebrew Bible does have the notion of the Messianic era, which does does foretell a time of peace. But it is after an apocalyptic moment. It is with the messianic era. So it would have to be a rarefied moment in, in cosmic history. But until we get there, the Torah does see that warfare is going to be part of our lives. And so what the Torah does that's different, I think, is that it creates safeguards so that the fact that we fight wars doesn't dehumanize us and doesn't dehumanize the enemy. 
And this week and in next week's portion, well, there are a whole variety of examples of this. But one of my favorite is how we treat nature. The Torah tells us that if you are laying siege to a city, and siege warfare was very much part of the notion of warfare in the ancient world, where they would, their people lived in walled cities, and they would simply begin a siege. So people couldn't get in and out. They couldn't bring food in. They may lose their water supply. And so eventually, the, the notion is that you could force a people to surrender without firing an arrow or sending a catapult rock through their walls, simply starve them out. Sometimes what people would do is they would burn their crops. In other words, they would build this, the walled city around where the people's homes were but their farmlands were outside of the walls of the city because it would be too onerous to, to build walls that large uh, over that much, much area. And so what they would do is the enemy would come and they would burn their crops so the people would lose heart and surrender. And the Torah says something interesting. You cannot destroy trees just because you want the, your, your enemy to lose heart, to, to surrender. And the Torah then goes on to say, is a tree like a human being? Can a tree run away? It's such an interesting thing. The Torah never goes into this kind of detail. It's much more didactic. And suddenly the Torah is forcing you as the reader to see nature and its helplessness in the face of human destruction. And it tells us you can't do that. And I think that's a fascinating piece. It's really interesting, and it, it it's, strikes me as, as, as beautiful in a way and also, you know, bizarre in a way that so many of the uh, the laws of the Torah seem to us, you know, now. Um, well, that, that That's painful. That's <laughs> they're bizarre. Okay, that was... uh, did I hurt you? I'm sorry. Oh, how about um, interesting? Would you treat a tree that way? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it is, it's made from trees, right? The, um... Oh, stop. So actually, I, no, I'd actually, be... Torah is actually made from leather. Oh, it's right, from right. Animal hide. So, no. Right. Okay. No, I'm failing no, this not... quiz. <laughs> okay. I'll let you off the hook. Well, you're oh, making a man. different point. No, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I love the idea of it, but it also seems somewhat arbitrary, you know, that we, we you know, war is so brutal. And we, obviously, once you get into it, it's very hard for the generals or for the leaders of these wars to, to, to look at the rule book and say, well, we better not do that, the line of attack, because we might kill some trees it's, it's very hard to think morally during a war right when your survival is on the line so i'm just wondering how practical they are well i think we're watching a war go on in ukraine and the russians are fighting a brutal brutal war against the ukrainians where women are being uh, molested where crops are being destroyed this is the breadbasket of europe where rockets are being fired seemingly indiscriminately towards nuclear power plants. Right, and at civilian targets. So we see how the Russian people have been prepared for this. They're called Nazis. I mean, as crazy as that is to refer to Ukrainians in that way. And they create this fear factor with Ukrainians that justifies the inhumane treatment of the creation itself, of the world itself. It's brutal. And Russians are known for this type of warfare. 
where they sort of just overpower you so that you just sort of give up. The Ukrainians have not done so, so far, but the level of devastation really goes to the heart of exactly why you have to have rules in warfare. And that's the, that's the astounding thing. What we're witnessing the need for the rules of warfare that are in the portion of judges, but it's, it's right in front of us. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess my cynical take is that very often, it's not just the Russians, those who are engaged in war tend to throw out their normal rules, their normal morals. You know, in the United States, we imprisoned Japanese Americans in internment camps um, during World War II. And in Vietnam, we certainly, you know, uh, wiped sure. out civilian communities and uh, certainly destroyed entire jungles to try to uh, find a few bad actors, right? So it's very hard once the uh, the boots are on the ground to, to think about what are my moral responsibilities here because you are overwhelmed with sometimes propaganda but, or sometimes call it patriotism. Whatever is driving that tends to throw um, religious and moral teachings out the window. Absolutely. I was thinking about a personality in Israel, a philosopher, amazing teacher, Moshe Halbertal. And he uh, teaches at Harvard. And in Israel, he teaches about what are called Tahor HaNeshech. That's in Hebrew, the purity of arms. And he actually has written a code of conduct that's been adopted by the Israel Defense Forces. And some of the questions that soldiers are taught to ask are, are my actions necessary? Am I targeting only those who are combatants? Am I doing everything possible as a soldier to avoid harming citizens, even to the point of risking my own safety? Are my actions proportionate to the danger that I am facing? So here in Israel, even amidst the diatribes, about the brutality of Israel. There was just a um, incursion into Gaza. And again, you see that Israelis are warning people where bombs are going to be so that civilians can get out of the way, even though Hamas embeds itself. And the indiscriminate firing of missiles coming from the other end, many of which, by the way, affected their own people because they were misfired. This is the issue. And Israel gets so much bad press and they make their share of mistakes. And when they do, they should be criticized roundly. But the reality is, is that I don't know of any country in the world that tries harder to protect others in war. And this, I think, is a direct line from the portion of Shoftim, these rules of warfare, to modern day Israel. I truly believe that. No, I agree with you on that, and I think that it's great and it's important that we teach morality to our soldiers and to the those who are making these decisions on how to go about war. And the big question is, why is it necessary at all? But once you're engaged in the battles, we have to keep asking those moral questions. And will there be consequences for Vladimir Putin? Will there be consequences for Russia? Or will the world be so tired and hungry and energy deprived, that they'll cut a deal, there won't be any consequences, and Russia will have gained a huge chunk, if not all of, all of Ukraine. So then, you know, warfare pays, indiscriminate warfare pays. This is the moral test of this moment. And I hope that the world will be up to it. I wish I could say I was more confident. We've seen time and time again where 
pragmatism and politics win the day. And that's what these actors are counting on. That's why so many of these wars begin, because people think they can get away with it and that the ends will justify the means. That's probably obvious, right? Unfortunately, I think so. But I'm going to come back to that song, War, and just quote one part of the lyrics that we never get to after the, after the refrain. It ain't nothing but a heartbreaker, war, friend only to the undertaker. A war, it's an enemy to all mankind. The thought of war blows my mind. War has caused unrest within the younger generation. Induction, then destruction. Who wants to die? I think that that song has an amazing, amazing set of lyrics. I wish that we could create a world worthy of Isaiah and worthy of the lion lying down with the lamb and pounding our swords into plowshares. But until we get there, war is going to be part of our lives. And I just hope we will remain human and force others, even if it means uh, punishment, to also be human. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.